Father, this psalm is about a, a storm, uh, but it's an illustration. It's an illustration of what your glory is like. I pray, Lord, you will take the word and apply it precisely and exactly how you would want uh, it to be applied to our lives. And so we lean upon you, we rest upon you, we ask you to intervene and demonstrate your power to us and help us to find peace. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. When I was in Florida, Marianne and I were in Orlando, Florida, and I grew up in Southern California. And Southern California typically has a high pressure above, by way of the, uh, the climate, there's always a high pressure usually. And so we have very mild Mediterranean-style climate there. And those of you who are from the East Coast, you're aware of storms more than we are on the, East, on the West Coast. And I encountered, Marianne and I encountered storms in Orlando for the first time. <laughs> first time, like one o'clock every day, particularly in the summertime, it is stormy, stormy, and it is thunder and lightning. I remember we were in this apartment, and I went out into the stairwell, which had kind of this open area to it, and I just thought, well, I'm going to experience this lightning storm. Let's just go out here. Yeah, this is one of these things that you wonder, was Darwin right? <laughs> no, uh, so this is one of those those moments, and I just stood out there on the stairwell, and I just kind of looked up into the stormy sky, and I, you know, sort of bring it on. Let me see this lightning. And of course, within moments, uh, a lightning bolt. Uh, it sure seemed very close to me, um, and I just humbly walked back into our apartment and said, "That was one of the more foolish things I think I've ever ever done." Um, and uh, I was not wearing a foil hat, by the way, so in case some of you were wondering. But storms are uh, powerful and humbling. Uh, I, I could go into the different storms I've been in. You have, you have stories, I'm sure, of storms that you have been through. Um, and so the Psalm 29 is, a, is, a, is, a, is an account of a storm. Look at verse 1 with me. You have it right there in your worship folder. I really want you to take a look at this. Take a look at this psalm. Look at verse 1. The psalm starts in heaven. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, talking to angels. Uh, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Uh, David is the author, and David has an image of heaven, and he knows uh, something of what's going on in heaven, and he, he's talking to angels here. And he, he has a vision of, of glory, the glory of God, and he knows that in heaven, angels can see this glory clearly, and so he's, he's talking to them, a scribe, uh, use words that give a right account of what you see. Worship in a way that corresponds with who God is. Verse 1 and 2. Then verse 3, David moves it down to earth. It's poetry. The movement of the psalm is actually a storm that seems to be moving across Israel, seems to be moving from the south to the north 
in the north is Lebanon. David is looking for an illustration. What is it like to experience and understand the glory of God? What's it like? Parents, maybe you're going to, you have young children, someday you're going to have to describe this to, to your children. What is it like that God has glory? See? Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, it tells us that children are glory seekers. They're searching for glory in blueberry pie. They're searching for glory in, you know, jumping off a tree fort or something. They're looking for glory in spectacular experiences. We've been made, we've been wired for glory. And David is looking, what is, what is a glorious, in fact, he uses a fearful illustration. What, what illustration would give a right representation of the weight of glory? Remember that the word glory means weightiness in the Hebrew language. Weightiness. The Reformation of 500 years ago, we think of Luther particularly, who was the instigator of what we now call the, the Reformation. Calvin would come some years later. Others were precursors, uh, men who had discovered Scripture and the Gospel prior to that, to, to Luther. We think of White, John Wycliffe in, in England. We think of John Huss in, in uh, Bohemia, or what we would call Czechoslovakia today. The Reformation was a recovery of the weight of God's glory and glorying in God alone for salvation. Man is not cooperating with God in a process of salvation. It's very important. God is not infusing grace into our lives as we obey our church, cooperate with the priest, and we're hoping that as we partake of the sacraments, we are gaining some kind of status before God. He's infusing grace. No. Any time man can take credit for salvation, just 1% of it, Watch how much we will take. Of course, we don't take even 1% of it. And the Reformation was a rediscovery of a God-centered, Christ-glorifying, grace alone, justified by faith alone, centered worship. Sola Deo Gloria, the Latin phrase, to God alone be the glory. This typically in teaching on the solas comes last. You'll see that there on your sermon page in the worship folder. I've listed it second just because I wanted to. How about that? <laughs> There's no rule about how best to teach these things. What's the order? So I said, oh, let's, do, let's do this. Now, of course, it makes sense that you would, you know, at the end, you know, sort of like Handel's Messiah, you know, the end, the, the, you know, the hallelujah chorus. And so you have the glory of God at the conclusion of these great doctrines. Now, let's do it second. Let's do it. Let's get ready to give God glory alone as we look at faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. Let, let, let's think about the weight of glory on these doctrines. 
You see, why is God given the glory alone? Because it come, our salvation is from mercy alone. It's like the calm that will come over Florida in a few days. Not a single person in Florida will make that happen. Not a single person, when they look out upon a beautiful sunrise in a day or two, and perhaps birds finally, if there's any birds left, uh, birds finally chirping, and there's a sense of some sense of a return to some sort of normalcy, not a single person will be able to give praise uh, to themselves for that. There's not a human accomplishment. So is the peace that comes in salvation, not anything that we have done. Now, we started in heaven, verses 1 and 2, angels. Angels, you get it together up there. That's what basically David's saying. Now let's feel the weight of this glorious God. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 begins, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. This is a lightning storm. The Lord over many waters. Verse 3. Interesting, as I studied this, it's not all that clear where the waters are. It's like in a hurricane, can you figure out where the water's coming from? Is it... Is the water in the, in the little cute little lake here? No. The water is coming all around you. The imagery here is that the waters, even the floods, are, are, are in places that you wouldn't normally. They're in the clouds. The flooding and the water is, is all around. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. These are the waters of a pelting rain resulting from a, a, a thunderstorm. This has been nicknamed the Psalm of Seven Thunders. There's seven references to God's voice. The key point, the sermon in a sentence. How about this? So on the drive home, here it is. The revelation of God's power functions as a summons to respond to him. The revelation of God's power functions as a summons. You see a beautiful sunset it is talking to you. You see beautiful stars at night, they are talking to you. You see a beautiful rose or a hibiscus, they're communicating to you the glory of God. That is not, it is, it is not an experience of non-communication. God is using the physical world to communicate his glory, and we have been made to receive that. We can understand it. When you see beauty, God is communicating to you something of his glory. God, the all-glorious one, makes himself heard in the thunder. That's what David's saying. The theme is the, the voice of God. The voice. Look at how he says it in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. God is speaking in and through the waters of this thunderstorm. And look at verse 4. What, what about this voice? The voice is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So it's not just a, a threatening voice. It's not just a fearful voice. It is a majestic, marvelous voice. Look at verse 5. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. 
This is a little kind of a mini theme in the Bible. Lebanon shows up. The cedars of Lebanon were used to build the temple. Uh, they were kind of a big deal, special trees. The imagery here is that, of course, when a tree gets struck by lightning, it's the top of the tree usually that gets gets struck. And what the imagery here is that God's lightning lightning is splitting these powerful trees uh, up in the north northern uh, above Israel there in in Lebanon. Uh, this is the sound of cracking timber. The crack of wood. And what is this cracking of wood? Well, that is like the voice of the Lord. This is poetry. Poetry is, is sort of a, a written emotion describing in an artful way what needs words that are artful and beautiful in expression. Now look at verse 6. This thunderstorm includes flashes of light. Look at verse 6. He, oh, excuse, uh, excuse me. Um, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 6. Verse 6 says, He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild, young wild axe. Syrian is an old uh, Phoenician word for this, the uh, Mount uh, Hermon. You've heard of Mount Hermon? That's up in the north of Israel. So this is a Phoenician, an old Phoenician word for Mount, Her- Mount Hermon. The point here is verse 6. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. Now, there's two ways to look at this. A skipping calf, that's kind of cute, isn't it? Right? Does that fit with what's been going on? In the, that doesn't fit. A skipping little happy calf? No. Have you ever seen an animal frightened because of noise? Have you ever seen a, an animal that suddenly bolts because of fear? That's what's going on here. And in, it's, it's an inanimate object, Lebanon, uh, a nation, a region. Mount Hermon is an inanimate object. David is now saying even inanimate regions, real estate, is skipping out of fear. That's quite an image, isn't it? Like a calf. And then it it seems like David, he keeps loading up this imagery. Look at verse 7. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. As if the wilderness wasn't you know, scary enough already, but now we have the voice of the Lord shaking the wilderness, and the Lord shakes the wilderness of, of Kadesh. That's the area where they came in to the land of Israel. And look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. That is, this fear has produced in the deer a premature birth. The, the voice of the Lord produces this kind of response from, from that animal. Of course, this is imagery. This is poetic imagery that David is drawing upon. And then at the end of verse 9, interesting that David envisions a temple when the temple had not yet been built yet, but he envisions people gathered in the temple crying glory. It's the only response to this voice. The only response is glory. 
doesn't it seem that God is terrifying as he reveals his presence? And the answer is yes. And of course, we've talked a bit about how Luther took seriously the holiness of God. He was a man who was committed to everything his church prescribed for him. He was trying to obey God's law. And he never had a sense that the law of God was satisfied. He always had a sense he was guilty before God's law. And Luther was being driven mad. He thought he was going crazy because he knew, and he he began to understand that he could not meet God's law, its standards. And he began to despair of his salvation. The law of God was functioning like the lightning in this storm of David's. The revealing of God's holiness is not good news for sinners. Remember how we started in heaven with David saying to the angels, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Then we move down to the storm, the lightning storm on earth. And then, now read with me, verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. That's David's conclusion to this thundering voice of God. This is evidence that he's the king. How do kings speak? Kings don't suggest things. Kings do not dialogue with their subjects. Kings make decrees. Kings announce the future. And that's what David's saying. He says, my God is like a storm who comes. And how do I know he is enthroned Because he does his will from heaven. It is like a storm that cannot be controlled. It is an awe-inspiring storm. And he sits enthroned as king forever. Some of you will be reminded of the conversation of one of the children in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Her name is Susan, and she's having a conversation with a talking beaver. And the, the, the beaver is explaining to her who is Aslan. And the beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So the talking beaver tells this young girl that there is a king in Aslan, and he's certainly not safe, but he is good. That's similar to what David's doing here in Psalm 29. 
Now, why do I bring up this text and why is it important? Because of how David concludes this psalm. Verse 11. David, who knows the awesome holiness and glory of God, cries out a kind of benediction. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let me just translate that into, in our regular English. May we not have to face him in his holiness and in this storm. May we find, by his sheer mercy, a way to be at peace with this king. He's the king, I tell you. This is what is lost today, by and large. We have lost the kingly glory of our God. We've reduced him to the meter of felt needs. We've reduced him to sort of a therapeutic kind of counseling experience. We have lost our sense of glorious, the glorious status of our God. When Handel was putting together what we call Handel's, Handel's Messiah, he spent some two weeks in a small apartment He had someone providing him food, kind of sliding food under the door, and the one supplying the food noticed he wasn't eating. And over that two-week period of time, Handel experienced glory. And when he came out, he expressed to those friends and others around him that he felt that he had been in the very presence of heaven itself. The weight of glory. The weight of the glorious gospel was in the heart of Martin Luther and it caused him to be a very brave individual. He knew that the storm of God's holiness could only be met if Christ took the storm for sinners. How Will there be peace among God's people? Well, will this storm produce a rainbow? Only if God is merciful. The voice of God is rightly described like thunder to sinners. Where where will we find peace? There will be peace only if God reveals himself as merciful. The voice that is revealed here must also speak mercy to us. Glorious and thunderous holiness bears down upon us like a storm. The voice of God must come with mercy toward us. God, for his own glory, must turn to us in redemption. And of course, we have the Son being sent on a divine mission. And it is a mission where salvation will be accomplished through judgment. Only through judgment will salvation be brought to God's people. The divine son associates himself with sinners at the baptism of John. Some of you remember this in Matthew 3. Jesus is associating with John's message of repentance even though he had no sin to repent of. 
And at the moment of his baptism, the voice, the voice, the voice of the Father breaks through and declares, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And he, at that moment, is becoming Isaiah's suffering servant. Isaiah 53. The mercy of God, the God of the storm, is now willing to have that storm come upon his own son. Luther, of course, discovers that he will never, ever be righteous of his own accord. He will never cooperate enough with grace. He understands he's in deep trouble. And then he discovers, it's interesting, he had been stuck with the Latin Vulgate, but he'd also been trained in the Greek, and so he began to read the Greek New Testament. And something burst through in Romans 1, 17, began to discover it wasn't that God is looking to make us righteous, but that God, by faith, declares us righteous. And the difference between that is remarkable. And Luther discovered, wait a minute, I am, by grace, declared righteous, not earning righteousness, I am declared righteousness. And he discovered this by looking at the original Greek language. And he describes it as the dungeon of his heart filling with life and light. He describes it as becoming born again. Calvin describes the glory of God shine, shining. He says, the glory of God shines indeed in all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than in the cross. In the midst of God's thunderous judgment, his people are at peace for the storm of wrath, revealing God's glorious justice rested upon the divine Son for all who believe. The voice that the, fa the Father's voice at his baptism communicates that the Father would receive the work of this Son, and only through him do we find salvation. Jesus was willing to go to the cross and to no longer hear the Father's blessing upon his life, for he became sin on the cross. He no longer heard the voice of the Father's approval, for the storm of his wrath rested upon him. The storm has passed over us and it was it and it was placed upon Jesus. And now we who believe the voice of God is not the voice of judgment. I hope you rejoice in this. Do you know the voice of God for you is your mediator, Jesus? Do you know that you have a voice for you in heaven now? God speaks for you through his Son. Hebrews chapter 7 puts it this way. He's able to say to the uttermost, how about that, for the storm God? 
He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. His voice is speaking to the Father. Oh, Father, my blood covers this sinner. Oh, Father, the storm of your wrath was upon me. It will not be upon them. He continues to intercede for you with his voice. And it's the voice not of wrath, but it's the voice of a merciful high priest. This is sola deo gloria. This is why we glory in God alone. We are watching Jesus, our champion. We are watching the one upon whom God placed the storm of his wrath. And he made from Jesus a throne, a king, and he is exalted on high now, speaking for us. This is great. I hope this is fuel for your worship. Let's pray. Father, this is exciting news. Father, for for the initial vision of David that a storm is a way to describe your voice, but Father, compassion is also another way to describe your voice. Mercy, peacefulness, fatherly care. Father, thank you for revealing your goodness to, to us, for letting the storm pass over us. We ask that we could respond rightly to you in giving you glory alone for not only salvation, but for every detail of our life. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope you live in the blessing of that, of those truths. Uh, Let's take a